Today's scripture is Acts 11, 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, I got the green light to use no microphone today. Matter of fact, let me unbutton the top one to get the vocals going. Um, well, good morning, guys. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, if you were here in the earlier service, uh, you kind of heard during our time of laments, um, just recognizing that today is a tough day for, for uh, moms. And um, I also want to throw on the other side, too, a huge like celebration of that. There's a lot of lament that goes in, but also, man, moms are beasts. And um, I mean that in a really good way. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, if you don't know, I didn't have a really good mom at all. And there are women who stepped up, Dawn, my mother-in-law, Nancy Young, who stepped up and were my mother and, and took me from the point of being a teenager, right? So like it started all bad for them uh, and going into to really trying to uh, help raise me and, and raising me. Uh, and so I just want to recognize those of you guys who are moms, it's tough. Last night, even at um, 4 a.m., I just hear Candace as Anna's crying. Candace goes, of course, Anna doesn't want me to have a good Mother's Day. And you know, like... They're just, of course, of all the nights, they're just these little selfish beings that take everything. And it's just, it's just crazy deal. Um, uh, yesterday, 
Candace and I went and saw the Harders. They lead the Harder community. Brandon Patrice and, and uh, Patrice just gave birth to their daughter Paige. And um, I'm sitting in the the hospital, and it's it's a weird deal, man. It really is. You're, there's about six of us in the room, but there is an almost and I don't want to sound like a weirdo, but like a tangible way this connection between Patrice and Paige. She knows where that girl is at all times. It's like their heartbeats are in sync. It's a weird deal. And those of you who are moms. Like, you get it. You you know what that's like, um, and we appreciate you. You guys are awesome. I'm not just saying that because my wife is an awesome mom, but really recognize and see some of you guys giving your life away for your children. So um, I know it's always cheesy when I tell you to clap, but let's clap for the moms. How about that? So um, t- today we've got uh, 66 uh, verses to cover, right? Now, some of you guys have been here before when I've taken an hour to cover two. Um, so just breathe. It's a different kind of, uh, uh, of text that we're at. I want to jump right in. But before I do, I want to kind of, uh, you know, prep us for what we're getting into. I don't think I could overstate how big of a deal this passage is that we're going to read. Now, Allison came up and read the last 18 verses of our passage. But we've got 48 verses before that that we've got to go through, and it's a big deal. So big that if you think of Acts as 28 chapters, that what happens in today's passage, we we, uh, recount again and again in chapters 10, 11, and 15. Now, we're not going to read 15 today, but this is a big deal. Matter of fact, uh, Paul writes about what takes place in today's passage a lot in the epistles, okay? So we're going to go through this the best we can. I'm going to explain how we get there. I want to read something to you from a guy named John Stott, a guy that we uh, really, when we started the church, he has a quote where he says, bring the whole gospel for the whole church to the whole world. That was kind of our mantra as we planted uh, a a church. And this is what he says about this moment that we're going to read in Acts 10 and 11. Luke now begins to tell the story of a fundamental turning point in the history of the early church. For the first time, Gentiles, if you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. For the first time, Gentiles will be directly evangelized and admitted into the fellowship with Jewish Christians. As a result, the church will not remain, uh, will not remain just an offshoot of an, of an ethnic religion, which is Judaism. It will become a universal body, embracing people from every nation and race. Luke takes great pains to show that this change in the church is the result of God's will and guidance. It does not come about through some human devised program. This section shows us that God, through the Holy Spirit, is bringing the Gentiles into his spiritual body, the church. We will see, that, uh, we will see this in verse after verse, describing the account of Cornelius' conversion as a supernatural operation of God. So, um, one of the, my favorite type of movies is the movies where you have to go back and watch it again. Like, you're like, no, right? Um, so the last scary movie I've ever seen was Sixth Sense. Didn't sleep for like four days afterwards. Um, but I saw that movie. One, decided never was I going to watch a scary movie again. But two, I had to watch The Sixth Sense again, right? Because the whole premise, if you haven't seen it at this point, it's been like 20 years. Um, uh, the whole premise is, this is a huge spoiler alert, um, but, but, but Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. That's what you come to find out. And you're like, what? Like, no way. And only Haley Joe Osmond can see him. And so you have to go back and watch it, be completely terrified all over again. But then recognizing, oh my gosh, no one was talking to him. There are other movies I can say, a movie called Fight Club I watched in high school. Highly suggest not watching it. 
well, it's a great movie, but I can't because I'm a pastor say that. But I just, it, it, it was, it was, you just, you're like, you're going back, you're like, no way, that's what happened. Um, and, and what we find in the Bible is kind of these like drops, these subtle hints that we see. And then we get to the moment that we're going to get at today. And we look back and we go, no, that was the plan the whole time. That's what he was doing this whole time. Right? You, yeah, just a couple verses so you, you guys know what I'm talking about. In Luke 2.32, Luke is the one who writes this. He calls our gospel the light for the revelation to the Gentiles. Right? So that's people were reading that. The Jews were reading that time going, I, I don't know fully what that means. Luke 3.6, this was God's plan for salvation for all people. We get to see it in Acts 9 when we talk about Paul's going to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean, we're, we're starting to see uh, these kind of snippets of what God is doing. And it's going to all take head in today's passage. I heard a pastor talk about it like this. It's, it's like a, a, a zombie flick or whatever it is where, it, you know, somebody's explaining how fast is this virus going to grow. And they're going, well, this is one week, right? There's a map on the screen. And it's like kind of red. And then two weeks, two months, six months, a year. And, right, there's just this red spreading. And it's, it can, you know, and then ten years, the whole globe, or, you know, usually it's a lot quicker than that. But the whole globe is consumed with zombies. And the idea is God's word, God's power, God's name is growing. It's growing. And to the Jews, it was kind of selective to them, but his plan was a lot bigger than that, okay? And so today's passage, we're going to get in all of that. We'll get to the back end, the last 18 verses that Allison read at the end of our time. But let's do it. Let's go, um, uh, let's start in verse 1, chapter 10. A lot of uh, passages to to read. So, um, and as we're going to read this, I want you to just be aware of something, okay? I want you to think of some camera work here. We're going to go back and forth in scenes, okay? We're going to go back and forth with this guy named Peter, who we've met, and Cornelius, who we haven't met. So let's start with Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as an Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. We've got to know who Cornelius is, so let's look at the passage in the way that it describes him in all of our texts. So you can see, um, first of all, he's a centurion, so... Uh, a centurion, you get the word hundred. He's over a hundred men, okay? That's, that's his job. That's where we, why he's called a centurion. Verse 2, he's devout and God-fearing. We'll see in verse 22, he's righteous and a God-fearing man. In verse 28, he attends the synagogues. He worships the God of Israel. He lives according to the standards of the Torah, and yet he is a Gentile. Again, in verse 22, he's respected by all the Jewish people. In verse 30, he prays at the designated hours. Uh, in 10.4, he uh, gives gifts to the poor. And then in 11.3, we find out, though, he's not a proselyte. He's not a circumcised man. So this is what we know about Cornelius. He's kind of this devoted man, and, and there's been a lot of, and to this day, commentaries argue, so is he saved? Is, is he what would be considered a, a Christian? A, what, what, what is all of this? And, and we kind of find out we're trying to uh, build up to what is going on, who is Cornelius. So that's what we know. Here he is. Verse 3. About the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m., of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Remember how we, our last verse of our passage last week, we ended with Peter staying with a, a tanner, right? I don't know if you guys remember that, so that's where Peter is right now. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, like I just said, whose house is by the sea. Verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who uh, attended him. And verse 8. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here's Cornelius, all the things that we know about him. An angel comes and says, hey, listen, God's heard your prayers. 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find this guy, Peter. He, he's in this other place. Go find him. So he gets his kind of wits about him. Just saw an angel, kind of freaked out for a moment. Sends some men to go find Peter. Cool. We, we got that far. Verse 10. Um, I'm sorry, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey, so now we're, the camera was on Cornelius, the camera's going to switch over to Peter. The next day, as they were on their journey, the men that were sent, and approaching the city, Peter went up uh, on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Just something to notice. It's really crazy. Before we read the account of Peter, I want you to recognize that God had already sent men from Cornelius before he tells Peter what's going on. Right? I mean, if you could just, God is already doing something before Peter even recognizes or hears God's voice. I think that's worth noting. That I think it's awesome. So it's the sixth hour, it's about noontime, and he goes up to, to pray on the housetop. Verse 10. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, uh, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Verse 12. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Verse 16. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So here's Peter now. Camera switch, Peter on the rooftop, sitting there praying, you know, going whatever. He has this, this trance, the, the Bible uses this trance, he kind of goes into this trance. There's this sheet that comes down with all these different creatures. He hears a voice and says, Peter, kill and eat. Now, if you don't know, Peter's a Jew. He, if you've heard the word kosher before, there are things that he can and cannot eat. And reptiles are definitely on the list of things he cannot eat, for sure. But let's just say all kinds of animals, he for sure sees things that he cannot eat, okay? So in seeing these things, he goes, I'm not going to eat that. And, and God goes... Hey, listen, you're calling that unclean. You're saying that's not okay. Don't call not okay what I'm calling okay. Don't call something unclean that I'm calling clean. And now this happens three times. I love the next part of our verse here. Um, Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, right? The dude was on a roof, has this trance of the sheet coming down. Peter, kill, eat. Three times, goes away, and he goes, what was that? There's no context he has no idea what is going on. I love it. So he's inwardly perplexed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, to, to what this vision was that he had, that might see, what it might mean. He doesn't know what this vision means. Behold the men who were sent by Cornelius. I love this. Listen, Luke's storytelling is money. Uh, camera pans, right? Uh, was sent by Cornelius. Having made inquiry by Simon's house, stood at the gate. So we went from Cornelius to Peter. Now we're back to the men of Cornelius. They're at the gate. They're coming to find Peter, Right? Inquirer of Simon's house stood at the gate. Verse 18, and called out to ask whether Simon was called Peter, Simon who was called Peter was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering this vision, the spirit said to him, back to Peter, okay? They're at the gate. These these guys are at the gate. Peter's still wondering what the heck just happened uh, with this whole vision thing. Uh, So uh, uh, the spirit of the Lord says to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them. Without hesitation, for I have sent them. Verse 21. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for you coming? I love that it continues to go back forth. So Peter, sitting there wondering what's going on, God says, hey, there's some men waiting for you. Which if I could just be honest, I know this is kind of comical, but in all seriousness, I really wish God would talk to me like that. I mean, seriously. Like, there's this thing that's tangible, and I'm just reading this story, 
kind of apart from thinking about how to preach on it and going, God, if, if it's true that you really speak like that, like, would you please talk to me like that? Like, tell me, like, I, you know, and I know it's, it's kind of like, yeah, but seriously, I, if, if that's real, if this account is real, if we could take away for a moment, which is totally a rabbit trail, I mean, that's, he really speaks like that. And I want that. I want to hear him like that. I, I hope you do too, but it's just worth noting. Um, so verse thir- uh, 22. So Peter goes, why, what's up? What do, what do you need? Verse 22. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them uh, into uh, be his guest. So he's like, come on. And it, like, it's Peter hears that there's an angel that told him to go. He's like, okay, well, come, come kick it at our house for a little bit. No, let's get on the road. The next day he rose and went away with him, and some of his brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Right? So now the camera's been going back and forth. Finally, the stories come together. Here is Peter, travels with these men, Cornelius' men. Cornelius finally sees him. He's got all his brothers, his sisters, his aunts, his uncles, his grandmas, his grandpas, his kids, his kids' kids. They're all sitting there. Here they are. Peter walks in. They're waiting to hear this word. He falls at Peter's feet, begins to worship him. Peter goes, what are you doing? I'm a man as, as well. I'm just like you, okay? And so he tells him to stand up. Verse 27. It's a lot. Let's keep going. It's a good narrative. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered together. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with, uh, with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or clean. This is the first time that Peter's starting to connect the dots. Oh, wait a minute. I'm in Cornelius' house. Now, Cornelius is a, a, a Roman citizen, and, and this would be, by all rights and purposes, by uh, uh, Peter's standards of, of Jewish law, he, he should not be associating, or, or actually man-made Jewish law applied onto Peter Peter should not be associating with this centurion, this Roman official. And so Peter makes that known from the jump. But he recognizes that, hey, there is this vision that I shouldn't call anything that is, that is, unco- or anything that is common, uh, uncommon. And I, I shouldn't say that anything is unclean, uh, 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 clean, or I'm sorry, anything that is clean, unclean. And so he, here he is. He's kind of putting these pieces together. I'm trying to put the pieces together as I tell you. It's a lot. Um, so... He talks to them, makes, it, makes, it, uh, makes them all aware that he shouldn't be there, but he is because God has told them to be. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, and I ask you now why, and I ask you then, why did you send for me? So he's going, what's going on? What, what did you got? I need to know the whole piece here. Continue to go. Verse 30. Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour. Now he's going to tell of what we already know. He's telling Peter this. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. And at the ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who was called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you had been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, I want to just stop very quickly. Um, If you were telling a story... And you wanted to get kind of get through the point. Uh, you would just say, Cornelius could have easily just said, or the Bible, Luke could have just said, and Cornelius told Peter what had happened to him. But he doesn't. 
He tells him, he recounts exactly what had happened. Now I need you to hear that. That's important. Luke is trying to tell us what happened with Cornelius and what's going to happen and what happened with Peter on the roof. These are big deals. I'm trying to make a big point of this. Luke is telling us this, right? So Cornelius tells him all that's going. So I've called for you, Peter. Now you're here. You've been kind enough to come. I'm thankful you're here. Please tell us what the deal is. If we could just pause for a moment and recognize, ain't no gospel presentation been this easy. None of your coworkers go, hey, I was visited by an angel. Can you tell me about Jesus? I, I wish, right? I wish. Usually it's like, hey, and they're like, no, no, thank you. Um, but honestly, I, I wish it was this easy. Um, so, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter hears Cornelius' story and connects all the dots. An angel visited you, a Gentile, the sheets, that's right. God is doing something apart from just our small little clique of Jews. He's doing something. Peter connects all the dots in that moment, right? I see now God shows no partiality. Verse 36. And, for, um, and as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, his Lord of all. Verse 37. You yourself know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaims, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit uh, and with power. I got to sneeze. Hold it. Okay, um, he went about doing good, uh, uh, good healings and all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, listen to the points, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who was appointed by God to be the judge, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness and sins through his name. So Peter, in this moment, standing before these Gentiles, just lays out the story of God. And listen, just because I, I wrote down a couple of these things that I think are, are worth noticing. So he brings up the story of Israel in verse 36. John the Baptist in verse 37, which speaks to Jesus' baptism in verse 37. Uh, Jesus' mighty works in verse 38. His death on the cross in verse 39. The resurrection in 40. And then the commission in 41 and 42. This is what he's bringing up. And I think um, that's just worth noting because anytime we do baptisms uh, within Redemption Peoria, we walk people through the Apostles' Creed, which lines up heavily with what Peter just presented. He lays these kind of foundational truths of what the gospel is. Okay? Verse 44. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. While Peter was still saying these things, here we go, now it gets interesting. Here we go, the charismatics, let's do this. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of, of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, um, as much as I really would, and I'm not joking when I say this, would love to lay out what happened in regards to speaking in tongues here. Um, if you don't know, what I, and I've shared this part of my story a million times, I, when I'm getting saved in the charismatic movement, a big part of even getting my um, license to be a, a licensed pastor in the state of Arizona under the Independent Assemblies of God, I had to write a, a, a paper 
on the uh, the receiving of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. That's the language that's used. So um, as you become a Christian, there is this, and, and I want to I want to those of like I think that tradition there's a lot of good in it. Um, and so I want to I don't want to downplay it at all. But there's this um, I would view I would say this wrong view of what would be considered maybe a second baptism. This idea that once you're a Christian, then you receive the Holy Spirit and you know you have the Holy Spirit when you speak in tongues. And so um, the language that we would use is in regards to the, all the gifts of God is that everyone at least has one gift, probably more. But there is no one gift that everyone has. So there's no one gift that every single and and what what I would that's not what I was taught when I grew up that speaking in tongues everyone receives the gift of speaking in tongues once you receive the Holy Spirit okay um, and I would love to continue to dig into that but here's the thing that's not what this passage is about what, what's happening here is Luke is trying to point us back and more appropriately Peter is recognizing Acts two he's remembering wait a minute. I remember what happened. Now, again, I wasn't here to preach Acts 2. I just want to read Acts 2, verses 4 through 6. So we're reminded of this. This is what it says. And they, this is all the disciples, uh, the Jewish men that had followed Jesus, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Verse 5. And uh, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. So it's during the time of the Passover in Jerusalem. So a bunch of Jews are making this be- this, this huge kind of, uh, 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 what do you call it? journey over to, to Jerusalem. So there's all kinds of Jews from different parts of Israel, even maybe outside of Israel, who are making this homage to, to uh, the place that these disciples are gathered in the upper room. And here they are, and they begin to speak in other tongues. Now, um, it wasn't like this thing where... Uh, these men were speaking in other tongues that weren't understandable because the, the men who are outside of the room eventually go, that's my language. They don't know my How would they know my How would he know his language? So there's these understandable languages that are being spoken in this moment and it's worth recognizing in regards to the conversation on tongues. But more appropriately, what happens to them as the Holy Spirit falls on them is they speak in tongues. And then what takes place with Cornelius, who is a Gentile, is the same thing. Luke is going one week, two week, three weeks, four. This is what it's like in a month. This is like what it's at a year. The, the, the gospel is like, it's breaking. It's, it's over, over the barriers. And so, suddenly now the Holy Spirit is going, I'm not confined just to Jews or the people of Israel. And they begin to speak in tongues. Matter of fact, um, in verse 15 of chapter 11, when, uh, uh, which we're going to read in a second, when Peter retells the story, it says at the beginning... When I began to speak, the Holy Spirit falls. So God is doing something, okay? So that, that, that's how the, the, story, take pl- uh, the story takes place. Um, let, let's keep going because we're not done. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 11. Um, and I, just so you guys know, John Stott calls this the Gentile, uh, what's he called? The Gentile Pentecost. He calls this the moment where the, the Gentiles have their own Pentecost. So uh, continuing on, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Okay, stop very quickly, okay? We've got to stop here. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to be um, as quick as I can. I said that a good movie, the movies that I at least like, are the ones that we've got to go back and watch, okay? Let me tell you how this correlates to the Bible and where we are right now in our text. Um, Something that I've tried to explain is the idea of mission, the idea of going to people with the word of Jesus Christ is not that different in what it was in the Old Testament, meaning God chose dare I say, predestined and elected a people. He didn't choose the Midianites. He didn't choose the Philistines. He chose Israel. 
There was nothing Abraham did. He chose Israel. Now, in choosing Israel, here is his decree to Israel. Before Israel is Israel, to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to everyone around you. And the idea of the Old Testament mission was this. Be holy, be steadfast, and trust in my name, and let the nations watch you do that. To live for God before people. And the people would watch Israel and go, there's something different about this. And this is God's plan. God's plan has been, I've called you as a people, not just to to bask in the goodness of who I am, but for responsibility's sake. So that you can be a light to all the nations around you, which is, of course, indicative to what Jesus talks about us being a a, a city on a hill, right? We can't be hidden under a lampstand. And so now this, this story in mind, what's going on, what we come to find out is the Jews do not do that well. They become idolaters, meaning not only are they not different from the other nations around them, they act just like the nations around them. They become conceited thinking that there are certain laws that only they can do, and because of that, only God loves only them. But in this moment, we get get the, the peeling away, the shedding of the skin. We see God is doing something really, really big. Okay? Verse 1, as I just read. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. Now, that shouldn't be a big deal because that's what the plan was from the beginning. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began to explain explain it to them in in the order. So then he goes on to explain all that happens with, for the sake of time, we're not going to recount that, though Luke thinks it's important to put in here, so I should probably read it. But what I'm not going to, um, I'll pick up verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. So we remember this part of the story, fell on Cornelius and his family, on them, just as on, on us at the beginning. Verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. If then God gave the same gifts to them as he gave to, gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? If God's going to do what he wants to do, who am I? But let's stop with the last time. This is where we'll start to wind down. I need you to, to listen very carefully to the problem that Peter runs into. Listen very, very carefully because there's no Jew. And when I explain how they're to be a light of the nations, there's no Jew that would go, oh, yeah. No, no, no. We want the Gentiles to hear. Yeah, of course. We want them to know God's goodness. God, of course. That's not the problem. The, the circumcised party isn't the issue that the Gentiles heard the word of God. No, 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 no. L- listen, listen, listen. Verse 2 in chapter 11. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? The issue immediately becomes of how Peter somehow broke a law or went out the confines of which he was supposed to stay. Wait, wait, wait. We want them to know, but what do you mean you ate with them? This is where we've got to stop and ask the question. Why do we have this text? I mean, honestly, we're not wrestling with whether or not Jews and Gentiles should mingle anymore. That's not a, that's not a big deal at Redemption Purity. We don't have counseling sessions over that. No, 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 no. There's something more here going on, right? 
Like, like for us to stop and pause for a moment and understand that God is doing something really, really big. He is expanding his kingdom. He is going. And hear me when I say this. If you don't think this is a race issue, you're wrong. If you don't think this is a socioeconomic issue, you're foolish. If you don't see this has to do with hygiene and homelessness, if you don't see this has to do with, with your type of safety shields that you have up, you're missing it. What God is doing in this moment is saying, I'm bursting forth to people, and I don't want you just to have them know who I am. I want you to know who they are. I want you to, dare I say, eat with them. No, well, like I, I, have, I have this Hispanic friend, and they come clean my house. No, no. No, you're missing it. Listen, um... We go, our kids go to a school uh, that is uh, predominantly Hispanic and black. Maryvale Prep, all my Maryvale Prep teachers, you guys are ball hard bosses. So we, uh, we have a concert on Thursday, I believe it was. Candace takes a picture of Titus and his whole class, right? And I looked at the photo afterwards, and it's, he's the only blonde hair kid, only white kid, right? I just text my buddy, he's like, one of these is not like the others. Um, just funny. <laughs> Right? So, so here's, here's, here's something um, clearly noticeable, okay? Um, when I grew up, that was my, like, confines. Those are the people uh, that I knew and I understood the culture. And I, like, even still, I'm very comfortable being around. Even Candace, I can, like, there's smells that I'm like, that smells like my buddy Raphael. That smells like his. It's not good or bad. It's just that's what it smells like. Um, and and, and here's, here's what I've come to find out. When, when I began to engage really both sides and seeing, like, whether it be white culture or different socioeconomics, poor, rich culture, there is an uncomfortableness when it comes to recognizing, yeah, we're all for Jesus. We both believe in Jesus. But somehow, somehow, most of churches are predominantly black, predominantly Hispanic, predominantly white, maybe more wealthy. And we could say, well, they look like the culture. They look like their context around them. Not always. Not always. Now listen, I'm, I'm not trying to like, let's throw out the race thing. I did that uh, in December and it was all bad. Um, <laughs> my, my point isn't to do that now. My, my point is for you to recognize something, okay? God is moving Peter. God is moving the Jews to an uncomfortable place. I mean, when you read those words, as you can see, uh, going back, you went to an uncircumcised man and ate with them. I need you to hear verse 18 as the passage ends, Okay. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Man, that sounds really good, doesn't it? Sounds really, really good. Peter gets it, that even to Gentiles, unfortunately, we're not done. You know what? You know the issue that comes up? All the council, all the Jerusalem council, they have to gather around. You know what the issue is? Jews and Gentiles. it's, it's funny that we have the story of Peter here, because you know what happens with Peter? As, as uh, Paul tells us in the Galatian church, listen to this. We think Peter finally got it. The, 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 the stars aligned for Peter. Listen to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's, he's also known Peter, and known as Peter, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul talking. He opposes Peter to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he draw back and separate. Draw back. Uh, sorry, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcised uh, circumcision party. Verse thirteen. And the rest of the Jews, 
acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw, this is it, but when I saw their conduct, conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So listen, if it's a race issue, a socioeconomic issue, if it's being around people not like you, if it's taking the panhandler to lunch, if it's spreading the gospel to all type of different classes around you, hear me when I say this, if that's an issue, it's a gospel issue. Now, lest you think that this whole, me bring up the race thing, well, that's just a race thing. No, listen, Paul says, your steps are not in line with the gospel. So, how do I want to finish this? Um, I have this passage that I'm not going to read. It's in Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 11. Um, and it's worth, I would just look it up if, I, if, if you can. Uh, Peter brings this idea up again. He talks about this mystery that what God is doing, he's bringing these people together for the purposes of mission. But this is the last thing that, that I, I want you to hear um, as I share in this in uh, Ephesians 3. In verse 9, this is what it says. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, be, uh, or might uh, now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen to what he's saying, okay? He just said there is a plan that God has had that Jesus, who we all follow and worship, Jesus, through him, God's plan is coming to fruition, and here's what it is. The manifold wisdom of God, what can be known about God, is to take place through him, through the church. You're the church. I'm the church. God's plan that we saw, the fight club, right? The sixth sense, the thing. So no way, this is what's happening. The ultimate plan is through you. That his plan would go forward through you to the panhandler, to the black man, to the Hispanic man, to the white man, to the Asian man, to, to the poor man, to the rich man, to the man who's not like you, to the woman who's not like you, to the coworker who doesn't agree with you, to the Buddhists, to the Islam, to dinner or to dine with him in such a way that Christians might even go, wait, what? You had dinner with who? It's to take place through you. The manifold wisdom of God is to take place through you. Here's our consummation. Here's how it all ends, man. Relish in this. This is beautiful. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd. This is the way the, the, the world is going to end, FYI. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, for every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They're going to be standing before Jesus. And you know who it's going to be? Listen, every nation, every tribe, and people, and language. It's going to be awesome. Here's, I keep saying here's how I'm going to finish, but I have to share this with you. <laughs> this really is the last quote. Galen Van Rennie says this, Mission is the very lifeblood of the church. As the body cannot survive without blood, so the church cannot survive without mission. Without blood, the body dies. Without mission, the church dies. As the physical body becomes weak without sufficient oxygen carrying red blood cells, so the church becomes anemic if it does not express its faith. The church establishes, establishes its rationale for being, its purpose for existing, while articulating its faith. 
An unexpressed faith withers. A Christian fellowship without mission loses its vitality. Mission is the force that gives the body of Christ vibrancy, purpose, and direction. When the church neglects its role as God's agents for mission, it is actually neglecting its own lifeblood. We gather on Sundays to worship, and then we take our lives and we worship wherever they go. And in all of this, we recognize something. Wherever worship is not, mission is. And if mission is not in that place, then we are not truly worshiping. My prayer is that we would see this, the same way Peter would see this. That God has called us to people not like us. That God is moving us. God is directing us to go beyond the bounds of what we recognize, just as he does in this moment, from the Jews to the Gentiles. Gosh, we'd be ferocious for souls, for the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.